again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, the baseball playoffs are here, which is just the distraction you needed from your weekly dose of the Cleveland Browns finding new and innovative ways not to win. Oh, you're killing me with that, Eric. I just, I just keep telling myself to focus on how the Browns, you know, I have them at over five and a half the wins this year. Mm-hmm. They could be 0-4 as well as they could be 4-0. So, and nobody's outplayed them yet. And that's kind of my story, and I'm sticking to it. And I also should mention my uh, Brewers are still uh, afloat very nicely. Oh, yes, I, yes. I win the World Series pick. Yeah. Still a little ways to go there, but uh, but so far so good with, with that bet. And, uh, you know, the Browns are far from out of it. I, I, I like your uh, cup half full way of looking at things. They have one win that's more than the zero they could have. It's unfortunately fewer than the four that they could have, but uh, still in the hunt on that one. All right. Well, thank you to everybody out there for joining us for episode number nine. We're almost up to double digits, John. Very exciting. Uh, you, can, exciting. <laughs> you can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple podcast app. That way you won't ever miss an episode. And we also recommend that you follow our home site on Twitter at US underscore bets. Yeah, and Eric, later in the show, we're going to be joined by Max Bixel, the U.S.-based director of mobile sports betting company Camby, K-A-M-B-I. So we'll be talking to Max about the state of online betting in New Jersey. But first, we have another segment to get to, so let's start the show. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Before we get into our three major news stories of the week, a quick follow-up note on one of last week's stories. We discussed the chaos in West Virginia and the back and forth over sports leagues pursuing integrity fees. Well, on Wednesday, a new version of the state's sports betting regulations was filed, and the regs are set to move forward without an integrity fee. Uh, We'll continue to keep an eye on things there. Uh, There's still certainly plenty of potential for chaos. Um, Anything to to comment on there, John, before we get to uh, our first real story of the week? Uh, Well, yeah, they were due to make some kind of resolution. So we knew it was coming and we knew it was coming soon. Right. Okay, so our first uh, main topic that we'll be hitting on here, uh, our man on the scene, John Brennan, was on the scene again, this time in New York City on Wednesday afternoon for a panel discussion on the future of sports betting featuring Bonnie Bernstein, Brian Musburger, a representative from DraftKings, and others. Uh, To a certain extent, the story here is just that this panel discussion happened, that sports gambling uh, is this clearly on the radar to be included in New York Advertising Week. Other than that, though, the story was most Mostly things we've heard before, maybe a few new statistics and details, but basically sports betting is a male dominated industry. Surprise, surprise. And it drives sports TV ratings up. Surprise, surprise. Uh, John, what were your takeaways? Did you hear anything that seemed new or different? Well, it was interesting that there were a couple hundred people at this uh, discussion. I mean, uh, uh, the interest is there. This is entrepreneurial types in many cases, a lot of marketing people, advertising people. Mm-hmm. So uh, everybody's trying to get their head around what to do with this now. So I think that was uh, uh, it, w- it was a good way to to think about the issue. You know, we're kind of uh, inside the beltway, so to speak. So it's a little hard sometimes to realize what the outside world is uh, looking at. And um, I think that that 97% figure that uh, Brian Musburger mentioned on uh, sports betting audience, 97% male, you know, I had the over under around 95. So I think I set a good line there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was tough to know if you're over or not. But but again, getting inside the head of major advertisers, wrestling with this question, whether to jump in on sports betting, uh, you can tell 
there's sort of a downside in that there are many consumers out there who, who either think sports betting is still illegal, they just they're not getting with the program, or they might think it's immoral. And so advertisers might think there's a little controversy to getting in on it. Um, but the flip side of that really was the, and I hadn't thought of it this way, but you know, advertisers are always looking for a targeted audience, you know, whatever demographic, and um, you always have. Uh, a certain percentage of the people you're pitching to who really aren't interested in your pitch. Well, when you have 97% male, you know, uh, Bonnie put it well, she said, it's just dudes. So, (laughs) so, so if you're trying to advertise to just dudes, you can do that. You know, you know, obviously a lot more women watch traditional uh, professional sports than some uh, older males believe. But uh, in terms of the betting side, this is where the, uh, the dudes do rule. Makes me wonder if we have any female listeners here at Gamble On. Uh, if, if so, probably not much more than about that 3% that, uh, that, that was estimated at, at this panel. Certainly in all, those, in all the pictures that we ever see run for many of these uh, live sports books, uh, it is hard to find women in those pictures. Yeah, I mentioned once before on an earlier podcast that you know, knowing so many female sports writers and some of the top ones in the country and – Almost to a woman, they're just mystified why men think they know before the season starts <laughs> or even before the week starts who's going to win something. They, you know, they're they're expert uh, on sports and they they're good writers and they uh, enjoy the job, but they don't get stuck sitting around trying to predict who's going to win the game. It's just not in their DNA, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, And I know you also uh, spoke with former NBA commissioner David Stern at this event. Uh, he's still harping on integrity fees, huh? Well, it's interesting. He he kind of talked more about the data. You know, that's they're getting away with the word integrity. But yeah, I've known David for probably 25 years, and uh, you know, obviously he had one of the most uh, spirited uh, depositions from about uh, six years ago in the New Jersey sports betting case. And Dave's a Jersey guy himself, right. and um, he really was angry at Governor Christie, particularly being a fellow attorney, uh, to have the uh, audacity to try to push this through. And and he gloom and doomed everything about what's going to happen if uh, sports betting goes beyond Nevada. So when I asked him about that, and he, he said it, it's not he, he sort of changed his tune, he acknowledged, which I thought was interesting, uh, because, of course, the the sky hasn't fallen with uh, four other states having it, as as we sort of saw coming. Um, so now he's just kind of set on uh, making sure that the leagues get a little sliver of the action, which uh, as much as the word integrity fee was kind of Orwellian, um, I think just some concept that they produce the the product that others can make money on and shouldn't they get a little bit of it? I mean, from that philosophical standpoint, it, it works a little better. I think integrity fee was just the, the wrong way to go about it. Yeah. While you had his ear this week, uh, did you get a chance to ask him uh, if he secretly kicked Michael Jordan out of the league in 93 for gambling? <laughs> <laughs> no, he boy he hates he hates that one almost as much as he hates the uh, the lottery is fixed thing. He, <laughs> right. I've, I've seen the the veins in his neck bulge up when when somebody pitches that story again. <laughs> the, fr- the, fr- the frozen envelope and Patrick Ewing that one. Exactly, yeah. that's the one. <laughs> All right. Okay, then moving on to our second story. Uh, DraftKings announced this week that it it has hired Johnny Avello away from the Win Sportsbook in Las Vegas to come work for them and launch and oversee DraftKings land-based sportsbooks. Uh, keen-eyed observers will surely note that DraftKings doesn't have any land-based sportsbooks. Obviously, that is going to change. Uh, Clearly, they have plans to enter the Nevada market. DraftKings has also hired away Frank Kunovich. uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Formerly a Caesars Sportsbook director and Ed Malinowski, the former Stratosphere Sportsbook director, as well as uh, Jamie Shea from IGT. So DraftKings is spending money to make hires. They mean business. They're setting up shop in Nevada. 
what do you make of all this, John? Well, it's interesting, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel, uh, uh, to, to the casual uh, sports fan, are pretty much known for those annoying commercials they had a few years ago. But um, setting that aside, it is a distraction. But in five or six years, these guys have practically gone from zero to a million. It's uh, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, really, both of them have, have been pretty good competitors. And uh, this is just another example of them recognizing a golden opportunity here, sports betting expansion, and they're exploiting it and wisely. Uh, casino companies, they they look flat, flat-footed again in comparison, frankly. They sort of, yep. they've, they've got their established market shares, they make money, and they just don't look as hungry uh, and hungry enough to compete really with DraftKings and Fando for the new dollars. So uh, I thought by now they would be getting more aggressive or kind of catching up, but it looks to me like DFS is going to eat their lunches on new gambling money too. Yeah, a lot of these other companies are, are moving slowly, you know, kind of dipping a toe in the water um, while DraftKings and FanDuel uh, ha- have acted fast, active, acted decisively. Um, it really feels like they could emerge as the giants of this industry in the U.S., although it's also way too soon to say, you know, William Hill will have something to say about that. Rush Street, Poker Stars, there are lots of players in the mix here, but uh, clearly the two DFS giants are the ones trying hardest so far to make a splash. Uh, and I think uh, Avello is a great hire. I've had some interactions with him since starting this job a few months ago. He was actually the first sportsbook operator that I interviewed uh, for the LeBron James piece that I wrote uh, back in my first week on the job. Really good guy, very knowledgeable, obviously. Uh, he knows this business inside and out. It's great to see him getting this opportunity. Um, plus, I, I just like flashing back to the bygone era when guys named John went by Johnny. I, I might start calling you Johnny Brennan, if you don't I, mind. I can, uh, I can go with that. JB also works. But, uh, <laughs> okay. I, I, I like the distinction you made. I'm talking about casino companies and and uh, and Daily Fantasy Sports companies, but there is uh, an in-between, as you mentioned, with William Hill and the others. And uh, right. those tend to be foreign-based companies that have been eager you know, William Hill's been partnered with Monmouth Park for over five years. I mean, they saw what was coming and they also, I, I got to give them credit as well to uh, have done a good job of being ready even before it happened, much less when it happened. So, so that's another group that uh, knows what they're doing here. Yeah. Good observation, JB. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get used to it, trying it out, seeing how it feels. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> on to our third and final story, as was reported by Bill Grinstead on PenBets.com. Uh, several venues got the green light in Pennsylvania to move forward with their sports betting plans, including Parks Casino, Hollywood Casino, the South Philly Turf Club. Uh, and the news within the news is that sports betting could go live in my home state as soon as November. Uh, Parks is building a temporary sports book that it hopes to open next month with a permanent book uh, coming in the second quarter of 2019 and mobile sports betting could launch in January, uh, which is bad news for business at the New Jersey Starbucks that I like to frequent, but great news for me and my fellow Pennsylvanians. So we knew this was coming. Now we have more of a timeline. Uh, The pressure is increasingly on New York to catch up with all their neighbors, uh, it seems to me. What do you think, John? This is like a parallel of of the previous story we talked about. You know, another example of a lack of aggressiveness in in the sports betting expansion industry. I mean, Pennsylvania has the defending Super Bowl champion Eagles and the iconic Steelers. uh, Yet we'll go at least halfway through the season without legal sports betting there and probably the entire season, as you know, without mobile betting anywhere in the state. Um, You know, we're going to get those New Jersey sports betting handle numbers for September pretty soon. 
mm-hmm. and the number is going to be staggering. I mean, is it going to be 400 million, 500 million, 600 million? That's on the handle I'm talking about, but it's it's a ridiculous number. It's going to be. And, you know, remember, both New Jersey and Delaware are still snagging Pennsylvania gamblers who don't live too far from those borders. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's good you mentioned New York because, yeah, at least the Pennsylvania can say, well, we're at least we're better than New York is because New York is going to miss the entire thing. So yep. uh, the half full, there's half full again, right? They're going to get half the uh, revenue they could have had in 2018 football. Yeah. Um, and I'll also note that in uh, Bill's story on penbets.com, uh, Sands Bethlehem and Valley Forge both received approval to offer online casino games. Um, I'm sure that uh, Sheldon Adelson will refuse to accept profits generated online by Sands Bethlehem. Um, but anyway, things are moving forward in Pennsylvania on all fronts. So uh, me and my neighbors will be well positioned to lose a lot of money if the Eagles keep underperforming. Uh, that might happen. <laughs> It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The company Camby calls itself the leading supplier of online and land-based sportsbooks to the regulated sports gambling and gaming industry. That is the industry that powers this podcast, so we are pleased to now welcome to the show Camby's U.S.-based director, Max Bixel. Max, thanks for joining us on Gamble On. Hey, how are you guys? Pleasure to be here. Thanks thanks for coming on the show. And the first question that I want to ask ask you, Max, uh, Camby is currently powering three New Jersey mobile sports books, uh, DraftKings, Play Sugar House, and 888 Sport. What do you feel are your duties and goals in terms of these being distinct products, not just the same sports book under three names? Yeah, that's a great question. And really our duty at Canby is to make sure that every uh, operator has the opportunity to execute on what they want to do, right? So um, some of the operators you mentioned, they have different goals and objectives. Uh, so we give them the opportunity to leverage Canby in unique and different ways, right? So uh, there's a number of levels they're able to pull uh, and able to create a distinct and unique product, whether it's using our APIs to take control of the front end on what the product actually looks like from a UI perspective, from what uh, you or John would see as a a DraftKings or a Rush Street uh, customer. For example, price differentiation, so you don't see the same odds from operator to operator. Uh, The prices are able to change, whether it's a regional market or uh, what we hope to be a a larger market from multi-state operators. So, um, that's really our duty is to to make sure that they have the flexibility uh, and we give them that flexibility and empower them uh, to really execute on what their specific goals and objectives really are. Okay. Yeah, Max, uh, tell me more about the cash out feature that Canby offers. You know, it allows players obviously to end the bet before the result is concluded. I, I've actually seen it myself where you can collect most of the projected winning amount when you're well ahead, or you can get kind of a consolation prize. I, unfortunately, I've seen that when a bet is in big trouble. Uh, is this something more, uh, have you found that, uh, your company found that it's used more by the pros and the Joes or vice versa? And kind of what else can you add about this feature? And maybe I don't know if there's anything unexpected about how it's played out. Yeah, it's kind of unique, right? And I think if you look at a U.S. market who is just recently regulated in several states, it's it's really something that has been around uh, globally for quite some time. So Canby, as a global operator, um, we first developed, uh, our founders developed uh, the cash out functionality probably 10 to 15 years ago. So it's been around other parts and other regulated markets for quite some time. Uh, but it's really a really unique feature in my mind. As a player, you look at it, 
Um, and just as you described, it allows you to take profit if it's going well, or uh, let's say, for example, it's, it's not going so well, it allows you to uh, cut bait and run a little bit. So it's really unique and it's become very popular uh, in the U.S. From, the, from what we've seen for a number of different factors, right? So uh, one of which is, let's say, John, you have a three-team parlay. You hit the first two legs on a 1 p.m. game and a 4 p.m. game, and you have the last leg riding on the 8 p.m. game on a Sunday, and it may not be going that well. We're going to give you the opportunity to cash that out in the first or second quarter as soon as you kind of feel the tide turning. Uh, and that's Pacific Wager. So it's really unique and, and it's really an entertainment value, right? So it gives you the element of control where you can even track how well you're doing against pace, right? So if you see what line you got it at and it's continuing to fluctuate based on what's happening live in the game, it, it adds to the excitement value of it. Uh, similar to someone who trades equities or commodities, you can kind of see that live price uh, go in and out of wherever you expect it to go. Um, but it, it's really a awesome function uh, and i'm glad the u.s market is adopting it very well and we've seen it be successful this far yeah i think it definitely adds to the uh, sort of in-game variation while not being an in-game bet exactly per se it you, you do see that i mean you have a uh, you know the golfer who's leading and whatever money you had and you you see you could collect this number on saturday and it's just sort of uh, interesting to think about um you know i'm sure there are a few people that are uh, kind of cashing in and cashing out all the time but uh, for the most part i think entertainment is is uh, as much a part of it as anything else yeah, absolutely. And I know you guys talk about golf fairly frequently, and I'm a, a big golfer myself. So if you golf's a very uh, conditional sport, right? So if you see someone playing and it's in the final round and say they're on the third or fourth hole, you see them miss a short putt or they don't get out of up and down from a fairly basic pitch, it, it, you start to feel the tide turning. So you're able to take advantage of those situations similar to in a football game. If you see that the running back on the Patriots is starting to have a loose handle on the ball, uh, it's significantly different to what you'd expect. So it gives you that opportunity to uh, leverage it and take advantage of small, minute things you're, you're picking up on in each contest. Well, speaking of golf, uh, your company predicted prior to the Ryder Cup uh, that you would be taking a record number of bets on that event. What are you finding so far in the U.S. in terms of sports that are exceeding expectations for handle or events that are exceeding expectations or just any other unexpected trends that you guys are seeing so far? For us, it's and if you look at uh, there's a couple components of that question. But if you think about uh, specific for golf, uh, it's large, similar to tennis. It's the pace of the game is much slower. Round of golf or round of professional golf takes somewhere between five to six hours. So there's constantly uh, intermissions within play where you're able to wager um, just like tennis. So for us, it, it really has met our expectation on, on how powerful it will be on the, and the impact it will have on the growth of handle uh, because the in-game element is so large, right? So in golf specifically last week, you're able to wager whether or not Francisco Molinari will be able to hit the fairway or whether Phil Nicholson and his partner will get up and down uh, on a couple of the par threes early on the round, you're able to see uh, who will be closest to the pin. So there's a lot of these micro markets that uh, enable to enable handle to grow fairly substantially. Uh, to answer your question, there's not too many uh, surprises out there. Um, NFL and college football naturally is about as popular as we'd expect it to be. Right. I, I'd say the, the entire season uh in the fall september through january uh is is largely dedicated to football in the u.s so 
we certainly expect that, and, and we've seen a significant amount of handle on um, a various various types of wagers, whether it's basic money line spread or totals, and then and then adding that into the in-game opportunities. It's it's fairly substantial on what we've seen uh, in the U.S. and and with the NBA starting fairly soon, uh, that should be exciting as well as you see what in-game betting can do in in hoops is pretty exciting. Okay. So there isn't like some some random surprise that you that you didn't see coming at all, like MMA has been huge uh, or or just something something like that. Everything has more or less gone according to to what you guys might have expected. Yeah, right. And those expectations are are constantly being adjusted. Um, if you look at the McGregor fight on Saturday evening, uh, there certainly could be an, an opportunity for something happening there where we're able to have minute by minute in in match uh wagering which which could we theoretically we expect that to be have an impact um but it's just something that the market hasn't seen as much in the u.s and other parts of the world uh where canby operates uh we do see that Uh, but the u.s is as as you can imagine a a significantly different animal so each new contest and, and given just the nature of the regulation in the u.s is almost everything is new so this will largely be the first uh, ufc fight that will be uh, heavily contested considering who's fighting uh, you look at the nba season it'll be our first nfl playoffs it'll be our first super bowl um, so a lot of these are first right so uh, we certainly can make expectations but until those contests are played um we won't know for sure, but the the Ryder Cup is the excitement was there considering uh, how large of a favorite the the U.S. was in comparison. Um, but we we fully expect uh, to be surprised, hopefully positively moving forward. Yeah, uh, Max. Actually, that's a, kind of one I I want to ask about is that uh, I was shocked actually that the U.S. was so heavily favored uh, kind of across the board. Um, technically, the their collective rankings of the 12 players was slightly better than the Europeans, but uh, to me it was clear that there were many more top Europeans in really good form. Um, plus, uh, Europe has, hasn't lost on European soil in 25 years, so I expected them to be at least a slight favorite, and um, so that worked out for me. But uh, I'm wondering in other international events such as the World Cup soccer, Olympics, uh, U.S. Open tennis, uh, frankly. Um, can I expect to see more appealing lines on the foreign side of bets each time because Americans are going to tend to want to uh, root for the American side? Or, or did I just see something in the golf that uh, the experts didn't see and, and, and they actually did expect the uh, U.S. to be uh, more likely to win? Great question. Yeah. So I think for specifically for the Ryder Cup, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that, um, a lot of which are conditional and, and purely subjective. So I, I agree with you. I think the U.S. collectively were – were better on paper. You think about the form, Kepka, Tiger, everyone's playing fairly well coming out of the Tour Championship. Um, the Europeans also were playing well, um, but the the U.S. team was quote-unquote stacked for the most part uh, going into the event, uh, but that doesn't take into account how well uh, the groups will be made, right? So there's definitely some moves made from each captain that, that I think made the difference in, in how the contest was played out. Um, you put certain players with particular players that you would normally expect, and, and that significantly affects the odds, right? And you saw that um, more exclusively in the singles matches. You had uh, a player like Tony Finau that was an underdog uh, against uh, a veteran player from Europe that won handily, right? So it's a, it's a unique piece. Uh, but it's certainly something that, for from Canby's perspective, we set the price as we see the price. 
um, regardless of where you are, whether you're in New Jersey or West Virginia or the UK or Columbia, um, we set the price as we see fit and, and give the operators the chance, if they'd like, to tweak that based on, on what they'd see and their preference and appetite for risk. Um, but it's really unique how how the how the Ryder Cup worked out. But overall, every side of every wager is fairly binary, right? It, it's going to go one way or another, whether it's whether it's close or not. Um, but the the odds pre-match in in the Ryder Cup, I'd say were were effective based on the information you'd have. Um, and if you looked on the in-match specifically uh, for the foursomes on the first day, uh, were unique compared to what you saw pre-match, uh, just given how the, the lineups were made. Hmm. Really interesting stuff. And of course, uh, yeah, there, it, it, there's so much to keep learning and keep discovering uh, with, with all this sports betting rolling out. Uh, so this is a, an exciting time, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show to, to talk about it uh, with us, Max. And uh, certainly, best of luck with all your operations going forward. I appreciate it very much. It's, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be on with you guys. All right, thanks, Max. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We will get to the Fast Five shortly, but we start, as usual, with our shared bankroll, where we have two results in. Uh, John's $110 on Michigan to cover against Northwestern uh, was a loser, but he more than made up for it with uh, the bet we were just discussing uh, with Max Bixel moments ago, uh, his $200 bet on Europe to win the Ryder Cup at plus 130 odds. Uh, you saw those out-of-whack odds there, and you pounced on them. Well done, John. Uh, that means we profited $150 overall on the two bets, meaning we are down a mere $90 uh, with $1,620 in limbo in futures bets. So our total bankroll available now is $8,290. And uh, I'm up first this week to place a bet. And before I reveal my bet, uh, I'll just note that I considered placing a bet on the NHL with the season just getting underway. Uh, but Me the truth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the truth is, I don't follow closely enough anymore. I would have been throwing a dart at the board. So I didn't go that route. I also wanted to make a bet on the baseball playoffs, uh, but I just didn't find a team with odds that I liked. Uh, I considered maybe Cleveland at plus 500 to win the AL, but eh, still not quite the price I was looking for. And I did, certainly don't want to. Uh, bet against your Brewers bet. Um, remember what Donnie Peters told us last week. Uh, don't bet just because you need to have something to bet on. If there isn't a good line out there, you can pass. So uh, so, so that's what I'm doing. I'll just keep rooting for our Brewers bet uh, at 20 to 1. Uh, so now finally, moving on to uh, my first bet. I'm not an MMA expert, uh, but I turned to a friend who is, Brian Campbell of CBS Sports. I asked him where the value was on this Saturday's UFC card headlined by Conor McGregor versus Khabib, whose last name I am not going to attempt to pronounce right now. Uh, In the main undercard bout, Brian gave me a live underdog at a good price. Anthony Pettis is plus 260 to upset Tony Ferguson. Brian told me, quote, while Ferguson is the rightful favorite, he had massive knee surgery in April and is not only rushing back, but this has all the makings to be a trap fight. So I'm betting $100 to win 260 on Pettis, and I will buy Brian a fictional dinner with our fictional winnings if Pettis comes through. That sounds good. Uh, I'm going to try something. Uh, Eric, I agree with you. I looked at the baseball playoffs, and I just did not have a feel for it. I mean, frankly, the only 
one I had to feel for was the uh, Oakland A's to beat the uh, Yankees last night at almost uh, two to one, and uh, it didn't work. So <laughs> right. I stayed away from baseball. Also, I used to cover the NHL back in the day, the Mark Messier Rangers days, even. But um, uh, yeah, I, that it's just so hard to pick. If you look at who's in the, I mean, Las Vegas Golden Knights went to the finals in their first year last year, so that should be pretty humbling. Somebody betting <laughs> NHL futures. Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually going to go back to the college football and and the Michigan well, mm-hmm. hoping I don't regret it for 110 to win 100 at minus. Uh, 17 and a half points against uh, a hapless Maryland. Uh, you know, Michigan sleepwalked to a 17 nothing deficit against Northwestern last week, which is amazing. Um, but that t- talented enough, they roared back for a, a win, but don't cover results. So uh, the talent's there, and that should have them fully ready to take on this Maryland squad that has not yet faced any kind of significant team on the road. And, um, you know, I, I may regret it, but uh, I'm going to give the Wolverines another chance. Okay. Uh, my next bet, uh, I had success a couple of weeks ago betting the over in the Chiefs 49ers shootout. So I'm going back to that well. I'm betting over 53 total points in Raiders Chargers, and it's even money on FanDuel. Uh, the line has moved uh, from 53.5 down to 53 and to even money. So I, I like all that. Maybe it's something I should uh, take as some sort of a warning that the line is moving against my bet, but uh, it did make my bet easier. So I'm betting. $200 to win $200, uh, even money on a total of 53. Uh, this is the second highest total on the board this week behind Steelers Falcons. It's always fun to bet the over, as you've pointed out, uh, especially so if you win. Uh, the Chargers are averaging 27.75 points per game. The Raiders just put up 45 while allowing 42 last week. So I like the over here. Okay. And I'm going to go back to college football again. Um, I, I, a little bit opposite of, of your theory there. I, I got Auburn minus three and a half points at Mississippi state. Uh, both teams have really great defensive numbers so far, top 10 in the country. Um, but the home Bulldogs don't really have the offense to survive against a team like Auburn that has played a, a far superior schedule again. Uh, I'm not saying Auburn's going to score 40 points, but I am saying Mississippi state might not even score 10. So let's hmm. try 110 for a hundred on that one. Okay, Uh, and we wrap things up with the fast five Uh, through week three. You were eight and seven. I was five, nine and one. And you've extended your lead ever so slightly. Uh, We went one and one on our shared picks last week. Uh, You finished three and two with your five picks. I finished two, two and one. Uh, So that puts you at 11 and nine and it puts me at 7, 11 and two. Let's see if I can gain a little ground. I'm up first this week. And I have to say, I found this to be a tough slate, uh, but here goes. Um, first up, I'm starting with the Thursday night game. The Colts are 10-point underdogs in New England. I know the Pats looked good last week, but these Colts have been in every game. I think this line underrates them a little. I think it reflects how the public likes to bet New England. I don't expect the Colts to win, but I do like them to cover. Uh, my next pick, uh, the Jets are favored by 2.5 at home against Denver. I'm a little surprised by that. I think the Broncos are the better team, regardless of where the game is. They nearly beat the Chiefs last week. Their defense is likely to force some turnovers out of Sam Darnold. I will gladly take Denver getting points. Um, My next one here, I've done well this season putting money behind my belief that the Bengals are an above-average team, and the Dolphins came back to earth last week. So Cincinnati giving 5.5 at home in this battle of 3-1 and teams. One is a real 3-1 and The other got some help from a soft early schedule and a weird weather-delayed opening game. So I like the Bengals to cover that five-and-a-half-point spread. 
Uh, and I like the Rams to cover an even wider spread, seven points on the road uh, with all of Seattle's defensive injuries piling up. This screams of a mismatch. Uh, I know it's dangerous to go against Seattle in Seattle, but the Rams are the best team in the league right now. They're the best coach team, too. I don't see why they won't win this by more than a touchdown. Uh, and lastly, my least confident pick. I'm taking the Texans to cover as a three and a half point favorite at home against Dallas in the Sunday night game. Both teams eked out wins last week. Uh, I think that was especially important for Houston. Their season would have been over with a loss. Instead, they have life. Deshaun Watson is going to keep getting healthier. Houston's been a big disappointment to me so far this season, but maybe they just needed to get that first win under their belt. So I like them here over a shaky Dallas team that, let's face it, Ezekiel Elliott is not going to be able to do against Houston's run defense what he did last week against Detroit. So again, my five picks are the Colts, the Broncos, the Bengals, the Rams, and the Texans. What are yours? All right, Eric, I kind of agree with you. This was a, was a challenging week. I, I tend to expect the uh, the picks to pop out a little little more by this point in the season because you've seen a lot of trends and you know we've made mistakes and we've also been on them, like you said, the Bengals. So, uh, but they didn't really pop as much here. Uh, I'll mention one thing or slash wine one thing. Um, yeah, one of my two <laughs> losses last week was Vikings plus six and a half, and they lost by seven to the Rams. Uh, you know, obviously we stick with one line from Thursday for simplicity's sake, but in New Jersey, for example, there's nearly a dozen different legal online and brick and mortar places to shop for a line. So uh, Vegas mostly went to plus seven on this one over the weekend. So right. uh, if you're betting serious money, you got to keep looking around. If you like the Vikings uh, and you have all those options, uh, particularly in New Jersey or Las Vegas, um, you know, you can find the seven and get the seven and would it would have saved you in that case. So yeah. uh, now to the picks. Um, one of my recurring themes, which I ignored last week, is that uh, mediocre franchises who can lose a game and still not be too stressed seem to find a way to do that. Uh, the Dolphins got killed on that. Um, I had, had the Bills, which was a terrible pick, um, because they won a game, and that's good enough for them. They, they, they're they okay with themselves. So uh, let's take the Saints on Monday night, giving six and a half, not seven, uh, to the first-place Redskins, who came off a bye week, but who don't really have the head coach to fully exploit that potential edge. So uh, Redskins' defense, it seems okay, and, and they're not terrible at any particular spot, but... Um, uh, I think I think the Saints can uh, handle this one. They're they're really getting into a groove. Uh, secondly, uh, Jaguars minus three at the Chiefs. Uh, who are going to lose this game. Uh, Pat Mahomes is very talented, but this this should be the wake up call that he and his fans need. Uh, you know, he's four games in and he's uh, Joe Montana already. Um, <laughs> you know, the Jaguars defense is for real. We all know that. And the Chiefs are not used to not having their way offensively. I think, you know, if they're uh, in single digits into the second quarter, that's not something they're going to be uh, comfortable with. So that's uh, two. Uh, number three. Three uh, Ravens minus three at my beloved Browns. Um, I still like the Browns overall, but this is such a low bar for a solid Ravens team that has really been reinvented for quarterback Joe Flacco. Uh, that Baltimore win over the Steelers, it could set up a, a, a follow-up letdown. That that can happen, but not in a divisional game. The Ravens will be up for this, and uh, unfortunately, they'll probably beat the Browns by a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth, I'm going against you. I think I'm 2-0 and against you this year. Uh, Patriots, Patriots minus 10 over Colts. Uh, it is often tough for a team to put up back to back blowout. So uh, the numbers on that are not good, but um, this is the Patriots. And frankly, I look at that Colts injury list and it's, it's just brutal. I mean, I think at full strength, they're 
an interesting pick. I, I think they're too banged up. And lastly, I'll take the Raiders plus five over the Chargers. Um, I finally found my dog for the week. Uh, <laughs> this seems to give the Chargers a home field advantage they don't really have, particularly when it's the former L.A. Raiders home. Um, there'll be more Raider fans there. And um, this is really two frogs flopping around a barrel. <laughs> and in that case, you take the frog that's getting more than a field goal. <laughs> frogs in a barrel never heard that analogy before but uh okay um and and that'll do it for this episode of gamble on thanks everybody for listening you can find me on twitter at eric raskin and john at bergen brennan and follow us bets at us underscore bets go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on soundcloud or on itunes or the apple podcast app and with that john or johnny or jb uh, I hand it over to you to take us out. All right, at ER, I'll just say uh, <laughs> un- until next time, gamble on.